From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast Hot Takes Edition after Florida State beats UNC on the road 35-25 to in a game that really didn't feel even that close. This was a game that Florida State dominated really from the time they went down 0-10 to uh, in the in the first quarter, and then it's one of those situations where the way Florida State's played the last couple of years, kind of start wondering, okay, is that it? And then they managed to get a stop and suddenly had a little bit of life, got some, got the ball moving on offense, scored, and it was 10-7, and all of a sudden it was game on. And from there, outscored North Carolina after going down 10 to nothing, outscored them 35 to 15. And that's with basically Carolina scoring really late to to push that two uh, two fifteen or two twenty five. So, and I mean, I, I was getting texts from you know old teammates and things like this saying, "What are we watching? Like, wh- wh- where did this team come from?" And and I, I man, I feel the same way. I mean, what did we just see? That that was in my estimation, the most complete game we've seen from Florida State, certainly in the Mike Norvell era. I mean, that's a very low bar. But, I mean, when was the last time Florida State played a complete game like that against a decent team? Against a team with a pulse. Against a team, you know, with... If you go to the 24-7, 2021 uh, team talent composite, which is looking at basically the talent that's actually on the roster, North Carolina is number 18 in terms of most talent in the country with two five stars, 27 four stars out and you know, an average of 88.36 on their team, Florida state, zero, five stars, 29 overall four stars. So the same number of blue chip players on each roster, Florida state's average rating a little worse. Florida state has less talent on their roster than North Carolina does by any measure. I mean, that, that, I mean, that I think is, is pretty evident. And they went out and they took the fight to North Carolina and out hit them, outplayed them on both sides of the ball and really seized control of this game. I mean, this game didn't look like it was going to be, it didn't look like it was in doubt after about the middle of the third quarter. I mean, Carolina came out and scored a quick, quick touchdown in the, in the, in the third quarter, Florida state answered right away, which was huge. And then basically was able to hold serve from there. And it just never looked in doubt. And and that marks significant a significant difference from last year's game. I mean, yes, this Florida State team did beat North Carolina last year, a better North Carolina team last year, at home in Tallahassee. And they, you know, they they escaped with that win. But that's what it felt like because you look at that win. Florida State basically went up early on the strength of a few plays where they were able to jump on Carolina, get some early, get that early lead. Up, uh, if I remember correctly, seventeen to nothing in that game, on the strength of a an early a, a first drive touchdown, get a block punt, and then you get an interception return for a touchdown by a defensive end on a play that you just almost never see. You just you you don't expect that. I think they were up twenty four to seven at that point, and they went on to win thirty one to twenty eight as North Carolina just came roaring back. Actually, it was twenty four to nothing. Pretty sure came roaring back. And if if that game had gone just a few minutes longer, Carolina wins that game. I don't think anybody has any question about that. And Florida State basically won because of a combination of turnovers, a key, a key special teams play, and just a few really key plays in that game. But that game never felt like it was, 
a foregone conclusion, even when Florida State was up by a bunch. You just kind of had this feeling that North Carolina was, they, they had that puncher's chance. You felt like that until about the mid-third quarter in this game, and then Florida State just locked him down, which was, I mean, that was, that was surprising. And again, the, this was not a game where Carolina statistically outplayed Florida State and then just you know a few turnovers or a few key plays made the difference. This was a game that was statistically a little more even than what it, what it looked like in terms of, of on the field. But again, the, Florida State really kind of dominated this game, particularly up front. I mean, they won this game on the line of scrimmage. They won this game by out hitting North Carolina and by causing Sam Howell, quarterback, North Carolina quarterback, of course, notorious flip from Florida State causing him all sorts of problems in the pocket and basically requiring that he win the game with his legs. But I mean, you go back to the, back to this. I'm, I'm going to go back to the first question. When, when was the last time Florida state put up this complete of a, of a performance to where it was one of those things where you just go, they, they outplayed this team really for three quarters of the game. Duke in 2020. Yeah. Okay. But that was just a terrible Duke team and a, a Duke team that, you know, they're no better this year, or maybe a little better this year. And, and this North Carolina team just blew that Duke team out. Boston College in 2019, maybe. Louisville in 2019. Those are a couple games that, that, that they were statistically comparably in the same ballpark. But I don't, I don't think either one felt quite like this. And I don't think either of those teams was as good as this North Carolina team. Wake in 2018 was another one that was a pretty good performance, but that was not a good Wake team. At Florida in 2017, maybe, but that was a three and seven Florida team. So I think you have to go back to Michigan in 2016 for a, for a game where you felt like Florida State played this complete of a game overall. Maybe Florida 2016. I mean, it's been a long time since Florida State played this well. Now, all that said, Statistically, when you actually look at this, this game was more even than you'd think. Now, Florida State did outgain North Carolina by a decent margin, 7.1 to 6.4. That's a, that's a pretty good delta there and reflects along the lines of what you'd expect. Now, I think that got a little bit stretched out. Uh, Carolina's last drive helped that a little bit. But 7.1 yards per play, 6.4 yards per play. That, that's, that's about what it felt like. But some of the other numbers you look at, Carolina had 15 big plays for 262 yards. Florida State, 11 big plays for 241. Florida State had 5.8 yards per carry in the running game, sack adjusted. North Carolina had 6.6 yards per carry, sack adjusted. So actually ran the ball better than Florida State, even though it didn't look like it. Didn't feel like it. Both had the same rushing success rate, 46%. Both had the same offensive success rate at 41%. Then you have the turnover, the one turnover, the bad throw by, by Howell there, and good play by, Jer by uh, Jerrion Jones, who's had a good couple weeks now. He looks healthier, and he's, he's played well. One thing that, that does sort of stick out is that Florida State's leverage rate was 76% to 68%. So that's a little better in terms of being able to stay ahead of the chains more consistently. They were able to do that. But overall, like they, they weren't able to, um, to separate in terms of statistically in a lot of respects 
the way that you might have expected in terms of, of what it looked like. So I think some of this is that Florida State started poorly as they have, have, have had a penchant to do. North Carolina averaging six yards, a, six yards a play in the first quarter. Florida State at two yards per play. But then all of a sudden that turns around the, remaining, the remainder of the game where 9.6 yards per play in the second quarter, 8.9 yards per play in the third quarter, and then shutting it down really in the fourth quarter, 2.5 yards per play when they were, when they were basically, they, they ran the ball 11 times and didn't throw it in the second half, running out the clock. So I think basically the, the, the yards per play differential through the third quarter is a little more accurate in terms of Florida State at 8.3 yards per play and Carolina at 6.7 yards per play. So, I mean, that that's a really good offensive outing and against a good defense. I mean, Carolina's got some players on that defense, and I think their coordinator is actually very good. Uh, he they got, they got out-schemed a little bit at different points. I think Norvell found some things that, that, that they were able to take advantage of for some key plays. But really what this boils down to is FSU was able to stay out of bad leverage Carolina really couldn't get them in uh, second and third and long, which is what defenses really need to do. And then as a result, FSU was seven out of 10 on third down conversions. And then when they had big plays, they scored on them. You know, you think about the the, the play that really blo- broke this game open at the end of the first half that, that put Florida State up by another score right before the half, that long sort of throwback on the cross-country route to Ontario Wilson, that was a beautiful play design where you roll the quarterback one direction, you make sure that you're occupying the, the deep defender on that side of the field with, the, uh, w- with a shorter throw, and then you just let the quarterback throw, th- throw the receiver across the field where he ends up one-on-one against the deep safety. You feel really good about that matchup, and they were able to execute it. Travis threw a great ball, and you, you score there. You don't score a touchdown there. This game's a lot more competitive. Similarly, you get down in the red zone and you score each time. Didn't have to kick field goals. The the pick play, the little rub route that they that they called there, that was a great call in the, in the context, especially given Carolina's tendency to go locked man there in those situations. You're just, there's no way that inside defender is going to be able to fight through and get to the uh, get to the to the flat route there and that becomes an easy touchdown throw for a quarterback who more more often than not needs those easy touchdown throws though Travis I mean Travis's numbers sort of tell the story in terms of how well he played today I mean you look at those numbers 11 of 13 passing for 145 yards three touchdowns completion percentage of 85 percent and a passer rating of 254.5 that's pretty good that's pretty good, as opposed to Sam Howell, who struggled on the day. 17-32, so 53%, two touchdowns and a pick, rating of 120.8. That's below his standard and certainly below what Florida State's been doing. I mean, the joke for a while has been that Florida State will make just about any decent quarterback look like a Heisman contender. Well, they played against the guy who came into the season as a Heisman contender today and made him look average. So, you know, it's been a while there. Now, they got some help. They did get some help from some drops. I mean, I think Josh Downs, you could see the the talent there, but he he had three drops by my count that were really key drops that that impacted drives that that would have been third down conversions. One might have been a touchdown. You had Choffrey Brown, their their fastest wide receiver, dropped a sure touchdown going over the middle. 
you you get those catches and all of a sudden the defense doesn't feel as good about itself and Florida State might actually be in a dogfight to the end might lose this game you know Choffrey Brown scores a touchdown in that context instead of them punting and all of a sudden this game goes right down to the wire so to some degree some of how you feel coming out of this game is dependent on Carolina having sort of screwed the pooch in a number of different plays where they had opportunities to make things happen situationally and they just didn't. And you can think about that in terms of guys who had defenders who had uh, ball carriers dead to rights in the backfield and just coming with a bad angle or, you know, missing a tackle and suddenly Jordan Travis is out the gate and, or running back is uh, getting a, a third down conversion, you know, toward the end there. A lot of different things in terms of situational stuff where when it was one-on-one, Florida State's guys won those matchups more often than not. Carolina just could not win the one-on-one matchups, and that's what you expect. That's what you hope for. You try to set your guys up with one-on-ones and tell them, like, if you can just win this matchup, if everybody just does your job and wins your matchup, then you win a lot of games. And that's really what they did in this game. But to me, the, the most striking thing about this game more than anything else was that Florida State won this game up front on they were better on up front on both sides of the ball and there's some talent on on both lines for for North Carolina I mean I expected Florida State to give Carolina's offensive line some trouble with their with the defensive line that that that's something we talked about in pregame that that was a matchup advantage for Florida State where Florida State's clear strength went up against something that's been a weakness for Carolina all year. And the question was whether they would be able to leverage that enough to be able to stop Carolina from taking advantage of some, some of some of Florida state's weaknesses on the back end. And they certainly were able to do that. And they were, they were able, you didn't see the the coverage busts that you've seen in recent, recent weeks, you know, most of the last four years, You, you saw guys actually where they're supposed to be. They made Carolina earn it. When Carolina made plays, they made Carolina earn those plays. Guys were in the picture. Guys were matching in coverage where they were supposed to go. And yeah, Carolina earned some of those. They 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 scored, but they were able to keep Carolina from from those long touchdowns. And Carolina's been a team that the last couple of years, when you've been able to prevent them from those backbreaking big plays, they've had some trouble at times when they don't have uh, Javante Williams, who's now showing himself to be a stud yet again at uh, in the NFL, when you don't have Javante Williams in the backfield, they, they've not been as efficient in, in uh, the goal line situation, tight zone, red zone stuff as, uh, as, as they are when they're scoring from, from deep. And they basically forced North Carolina. You got to give them, you got to give the Florida state staff credit and, you know, for all the, the, the stuff that that Fuller and that defensive staff have had to listen to and all the criticism that they've had, and, and deservedly so up to this point in the season, the game plan in this game was right. I mean, one of the things that I talked about in the, in the uh, preview podcast is that this Carolina offensive line has struggled with twists and stunts all year. You've got to push, push those all the more in this game, cause problems with them with that, and they did that. They they used more twists and stunts than I've seen them use in the last two years, and they use a decent number of them anyway. But that was a, a, a core part of the game. They were able to, to get some pressure. They were able to cause some confusion up front. And ultimately, they were able to do that while playing coverage in the back. 
in the back seven and basically forcing Carolina to execute underneath rather than being able to win over the top, force Howell to execute underneath more, uh, more often with some guys in his face. And other than that, force Howell to run the football. And I think it was pretty clear. They basically decided you're not going to stop everything with this offense, but if Howell can beat you with his legs, then you tip your hat. But you'd rather him run it than pretty much anybody else on their offense carry it. You don't want Ty Chandler in the, in the, in the open field. Howell, yeah, he might get a first down scrambling, but he might not. And he's probably not going to break it for a 60-yard touchdown. So what they did is they decided to do that. So, you know, the, the, the calculation is when he's running, who else didn't get it when he's running? That's, a, that's an opportunity cost situation, and, and that was the right call. So uh, a couple other things I saw that I really liked is that they used Amari Gaynor as a, pa- a situational pass rusher a lot. And I really think that, you know, next year in particular, if they can find a way to move him down into that role more often and play him less at the linebacker position, they'll be better off. Uh, I, I think they did a better job of covering up their backers from, from being, uh, being taken advantage of there. I think that was a missed opportunity for North Carolina, though. I thought some of that was on uh, Carolina offensive coordinator Phil Longo and, and, and Sam Howell for not taking advantage of those matchups. They just didn't do a good job with that. And Florida State took advantage of that. So, you know, Howell will finish his career 0-2 against Florida State. That that in itself should be pretty satisfying for a lot of folks who, who have a bitter taste in their mouth about how that recruitment went down and how that flip impacted the Florida State program. I mean, certainly if Howell had wound up at Florida State, they probably would be in a very different position. I mean, I'm not sure they'd be in a better spot because odds are Willie Taggart would still be the head coach at Florida State because they would have probably won enough uh, with Howell to cover over some of the other flaws in the program. But Ultimately, he wound up at North Carolina, has helped turn that program around for the most part, but will finish his career 0-2 against Florida State. And like I said, he struggled in this game. Missed some some key throws, though he didn't get a whole lot of help around him from some of the guys that could have could have uh, made this into a much better day for him. Uh, still pretty poor on Hail Mary defense. Uh, really poor. They are fortunate that that end-of-half Hail Mary from North Carolina did not get caught for a touchdown. Uh it's pretty obvious that they told those guys to knock it down. Um, Travis J uh, prior week had come out and caught the one against Syracuse. And you generally don't want to tell your guys to go up and catch it because if they bring it down in, in that situation, you, you might have somebody that actually is able to take it away from you. So you don't, you want to coach your guys not to catch the hail Mary. You want to knock the hail Mary down as much as possible. But in this case, Jay should have caught it. <laughs> you got it in your hands. You're going backwards. Just catch it. You don't want to, you know, he almost threw it to him and uh, that's not what you want to see. And there was way too much, there was way too much of a gap in there in terms of where guys were. You have to kind of approach it like a soccer corner kick where you have to mark specific guys and you have to make sure then from there, you've got your guys on the goal line and in the, in the end zone who are responsible to go up and knock the ball down. And then you have to have the guys who are coming up with the players who are running downfield and you want to be in front of those guys to close that space so that if the ball gets, does get knocked backwards, that guy can knock it down as well. So you mark those guys and then you have your couple guys in the end zone whose responsibility it is to go up and, and knock it down. 
they still have a lot of work to do in that area. They've got to be able to close that space, mark those players, understand who's who's supposed to be where, close that space down, and then make sure the ball hits the ground without depending on luck for that to happen. Uh, offensively, I, I've, I thought offensively this was a beautifully called game by Norvell and Dillingham. And I think it was pretty clear. One of the things that that was evident was that this was finally the team or pretty close to the team offensively that they thought they'd have in camp. So through the since the Notre Dame game, they've not had the offensive line and quarterback that they thought they would have or that they had hoped that they, that they would have, that they knew they needed. This was an offense with a clear identity. They have, you know, with Travis looking healthier at quarterback and then five offensive linemen who are among the five that they, five of the, of the offensive linemen, they got about seven offensive linemen or started the season with seven offensive linemen they felt they could play with. Two tackles and then one center and then two guards on each side, basically. Well, in this game, they were able to play throughout the whole game with five guys that were in spots where they felt like they could win. And you could see the difference. What a difference, first of all, Maurice Smith makes. Oh, my goodness. And we've talked about this for a couple of years, a few years now on this podcast, that if you don't have a solid center, if you're not solid at the center position, that's just death for an offensive line. Because you can you can help an offensive tackle with you know you can chip a guy you can you know do lots of things to help an offensive tackle who's struggling schematically you can help a guard you can have the tackle or center help over or do different things if your center is just getting his butt kicked every play you basically don't have an offense so it you know quarterback is the most important position in team sports but Having a competent center. Now, the, the the payoff of having an elite center is lower than the payoff of having elite players at other places. But competence at center is probably the number two most important thing for an offense in, in football. Because you have to be able to have enough space to work on the on the ground or in the air. There's nothing worse for a quarterback than constantly getting pressure right up the middle. Because it, it impacts everything you see. It impacts your comfort level. You can't step into throws. And in the running game, there's virtually nothing that can atone for not being able to handle, not being able to, to uh, prevent penetration in the middle of the, of the line of scrimmage. And you saw that from North Carolina, actually. They've had trouble with their, with their center this year. They've had some injuries and uh, some inconsistency at that position. And you could see on a, on a few plays in particular, there, there was one, uh, one in the first half that they, that they showed where you could see Robert Cooper marching the, the center right back into Howell's lap and how much that af- affected Howell. No doubt. And with Marie Smith, all of a sudden, Florida State, is, they're not elite there, but they're solid as opposed to bad. And then all of a sudden, the whole offensive line looks better. So with Marie Smith on the field and then also Robert Scott, at tackle, you got both of those guys back out there. They just look like a completely different offense. They look like a completely different offensive line. And you can see, fundamentally speaking, how much better they've gotten under Atkins to where you, you, you see some of these guys, even when they're getting beat, they're generally getting beat with better technique. And that you can, you can see that. And you compare that, say, to North Carolina, where they, they have more talent and experience on the offensive line, but their technique's terrible. And you can see the difference of offensive line coaching there in terms of, of what they're getting. 
once Florida State actually has guys that are a little bit better talent-wise on the offensive line and are healthy enough to actually be out there. And I should say, another guy that deserves some credit there is uh, Baby on John, uh, Baby on Johnson, who came in for uh, Love Taylor when Love Taylor went down, and there was really no drop-off at guard. Baby on's good at guard. You just don't, you don't want him at center. He's just, it's so hard. Center is a, is a really hard position because you, you have to snap it and then block. And that's really hard. That is really hard. And some guys can do it, and some guys just really can't. And Florida State has one guy right now that can do it. And when he's not out there, it makes a huge, huge difference. Once they had him out there, they were able, this game, I mean, the identity was clear. They were able to pound the ball, use the quarterback in the running game, and then use that to set up some shot plays and get some big plays in the passing game. It's pretty much what they are. That's what they wanted to be all season. But they couldn't pound it the last few weeks, basically since the Notre Dame game, because they didn't have the offensive line that could do it. You can't pound it if you can't block on your interior. They were able to block on the interior in this one, even against a good defensive line. And so they were able to pound it some. And then all of a sudden, with that identity, Norvell, Norvell's offense looked like a Norvell offense. And when Norvell's offense is, is going, it kind of advertises itself. Once there's any strengths to build on, he, he's one of the best offensive minds in college football. And that offense is really, really quarterback friendly. So... You know, again, this is this is tape. You want to go ahead and uh, you want to get to you want to get in the pockets of all these recruits that you're in on Marvin Jones, Jr., Kelly, McCall, Duffy, who, you know, obviously he's already he's still he's still 100 percent in. But you want to send this one out because this is a big, big win for this program, just given the situation that they've been in. Now, it does make the Jacksonville State game sort of hurt that much more because you'd be three and three going into the, uh, going into the bye with expecting to go four and three coming out of the bye and feel pretty good about your shot of making a bowl, just beating teams. You should, you should be able to beat down the stretch. You got a shot. You feel really good about that. Now it's not impossible that they could do it, but they're going to have to win a couple more games against teams that uh, basically win a couple more like this one against teams that they're not expected to necessarily beat. But nevertheless, you think about that. Yeah, North Carolina is still not a top 10 team like they were at the beginning of the season, but they're still talented. They still carry some, some clout there. And this counts as a quality win over a quality team. You send this out to your, to your recruits and say, look, here's, here's more proof of concept that we're getting better. And think about this. This is two wins in a row for the first time since 2019 when they won at Boston College and then Alabama State at home. Yikes. They won two games in a row earlier that year. It was uh, Louisville and, uh, and NC State at home as well. So they did it twice in 2019. But they haven't won three in a row as a program. Florida State has not won three games in a row as a program since the end of 2017. Think about that. They've not won three games in a row since the end of 2017. And now they get a chance to get a bye week, get healthier, and then play the Fighting Walt Bells, where you expect to make that three in a row. First time since the end of 2017. And I know this is, this is crazy. Crazy to think. But the other thing about this is you get basically two weeks to get healthier and prepare for Clemson. And I know that's crazy. But 
Think about where Clemson is as a program right now and what we've seen from Clemson so far this year. The team that played against Notre Dame, the team that played against North Carolina, which is not the same team in terms of what they have talent-wise, in terms of availability up front and all of that, the team, that team, that team might be able to compete with the Clemson that we've seen so far this year, the, the Clemson that has had trouble scoring points on anybody. Now, they're going to have trouble scoring points on Clemson too, but two weeks to prepare to, you know, put in some things that will break tendency, put in some things that can cause some problems there. I know it's crazy, and no, I'm not picking this team to beat Clemson, but it's not completely out of the question. It's not nuts. Because again, you get two weeks to get healthier, two weeks to prepare. You get a little bit more opportunity to get right against UMass. And maybe, just maybe, you can figure some things out enough to, to pull a crazy upset. Boy, wouldn't that change the, the feeling in Tallahassee and in terms of recruiting. Either way, this is a really, really big opportunity. And winning right in, going into the bye week, when you're about to hit the road recruiting extra as a staff as well, that, that also doesn't hurt. That you feel good as a, as a team, you feel good as a staff, you can get a little bit more rested, you can chew your guys out for the mistakes that they did make and they still feel good about themselves and, and can improve. This is a big win. And uh, this, is, this is the sort of thing that really helps in terms of climbing out of the hole that, that the Florida State program's been in for a long time and uh, bodes well for being able to maybe build on it with it. You go you, three in a row the next time, you take your puncher's chance against Clemson, and you know maybe you do the same thing against Miami, pull out an, a win against Miami, and, and you're winning some key recruiting matchups and you can replenish some of that talent deficit that you've uh, that you've got on your roster at present with some guys that can really play in the next class. So this is a big step in the right direction. We'll see where this goes from from here. But for the first time in a long time, you can go into a bye week feeling good about yourself at Florida State, and you got something positive to take to recruits. And in terms of selling your message, this is a really really big deal. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.